listening to episode 86 of Shades Midweek, a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. My name is John Mark DeRoe. I am inside the recesses of Four Stream Studio on a October afternoon with Brad Brown and Jonathan Hafes. They are both pastors here at Shades Valley Community Church and good friends of mine. What is up, everybody? Well, I know one thing, and that is that we are definitely not going to talk about Braves baseball. Oh, you knew it was coming! You knew it was coming! On the eve of the first game I mean, of the I'm World sorry. Series. I'm sorry. I have to. have to. Yeah. So, my Bravos won the National League Championship Series, won the pennant, and, uh, and we're playing in the World Series tonight. Game one, tonight. For the first time since 1999, fellas. So, how are you feeling? Are you excited? Are you nervous? Oh, dude, I'm are so you... excited. I'm so excited. I mean, even if we lose the World Series, we beat the Dodgers. So, you know, I feel great. Wow. Um, but no, we'll, I, we'll talk really... to you if they actually lose. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be super depressed. How you feel about that? Oh no, no. So we, our first two games are in Houston. So I'm just, I'd love it, absolutely, obviously, if we could get both of those. But I'm just really. Really pulling for one. I need yeah. at least one in Houston. I feel so. like a lot of people hate Houston too because of the recent controversies. Oh, the trash throws? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know who doesn't? Beth Moore. She's oh, a big Astros big, fan. Big Astros fan. Yeah. Huh? I follow wow. her on Twitter, and That's the amazing. last time they were in the World Series, she tweeted. A lot Beth, about I, it. Beth, so I've never. Felt I almost stopped following her because of all her baseball. <laughs> I was about to say, Beth, I've never felt disappointed in you before, but I do right now. I know you should reach out to her. Maybe we can get her on the podcast to talk about it. Let's try. Let's go. Yeah, for there's it. a lot of exciting things happening. We've got the Braves in the World Series. Write to us, Beth. The the NBA uh, season uh, for 2021-2022 officially tipped off last week. Uh, so oh, that's we, right. We got NBA happening right now, dude. Speaking of Atlanta. The Hawks are looking pretty good this year. You know who plays for the Hawks? He's on the bench, but he oh, will yeah. play some. Sharif Cooper. The former Auburn Tiger. For, former Auburn Tigers point guard star. All right, guys, I feel like this has drifted really far from focusing on my Braves. So, Well, you know Atlanta. We should probably skip over sports anyway. One of the Well, and before, uh, as we're exiting out of sports, and we do talk about culture here a lot, a huge movie dropped last weekend. Dune. Hey, no spoilers, Dune. guys. No spoilers. Huge. I, I haven't gotten to see it. Well, no you got to go watch it. It's available on HBO Max, so it's never been easier to watch a huge box office movie from your home. Uh, but I would recommend going to watch it in the theater. I didn't, but I would say that it's probably going to be better than watching it on your TV. I, really I watched it on my book. iPad. How do you feel about oh that? Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? <laughs> With yeah. your headphones? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! How big? How many inches is that? Is that like a twelve inch? What is it? How I do they? Know. How do they measure? Was, I watched it's it. Be I watched it partially inches. on my iPad and put it and really close to his face. How though. big is that? Put it really close. <laughs> partially on my iPhone and partially on my iPad. Oh. Yeah, not even at the same sitting. He had to go to sleep. He told me about that already. But I loved it. It's a two and a half hour movie, Dune. Go check it out. Let us know what you think of it. We'll probably do an episode on it. Uh, after all, there is a very a lot of spirituality. There is a very messianic uh, story mm. there, and um, as most of these kind of sci-fi, you know, adventure, Lord of the Rings, Star oh, but Wars, we could have a three-hour episode talking about it. Don't you worry. I think we will. And it'll probably be one of our highest listened episodes if cool. we do that. So it's, it, it's coming up. We got to wait for Jonathan to watch it. It's almost like all these fairy tales are related to one master true fairy tale. Mm. That's right. There it is. 
Okay. All right. Anyway. Well. But it was is that going to be? A, the, it's a good movie. So is that going to be the it? album of the week? The Dune soundtrack. Hans Zimmer did the Dune soundtrack. It's of course not, he did. How many foghorns are there? It is not the album of the week. Although the soundtrack is great. Apparently, he made a lot of his own instruments for it and stuff. Of course, he did. Um, made his own instruments. I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, okay, I have a rather uh, funny sounding band uh, name for the album of the week this week. The band, the band is Rit Momney. Rit Momney. Yeah, it's such an improvement over. That makes me Javi think of. That makes me think week. of Mitt Romney. This is a. <laughs> uh, he is better known as uh, well. His name is Jack Rudder. Uh, he was born on October twelfth, nineteen ninety nine. Very young, young wow. guy. Tell me how to tell uh, me how to spell this. He's from Salt Lake City. Uh, his stage name is a spoonerism of American politician Mitt Romney. Oh, so yeah. literally just take Mitt Romney. Just your classic spoonerism. And spell it Rit Momney, who has been a United States senator from Utah since 2019. Okay, uh, this is really not about Mitt Romney at all. Uh, it is just very funny. Uh, apparently this guy was in high school, had a band. Uh, one of the musicians uh, in the band was like, you should name... We should just keep the name Rit Momney. Like, it's hilarious. We should keep it. It's just him now. Uh, and the rest of the band members, they're all a part of the Church of Latter-day Saints, and they went off to be missionaries for the LDS church, and he has left the the faith, the Mormon faith. Um, so, yeah. What does, he, what does he play? Uh, I guess he plays guitar and piano mostly, but, uh, I mean, it's like a full band. I think he plays all the instruments on the record. Uh, but here's what it sounds like. It's uh, really interesting. Oh, one other thing I should note. This guy got big because during 2020, April 2020, he did a cover of this pop song uh, by Corinne ba- Bailey Ray called Put Your Records On. And apparently it just blew up on TikTok. And now he has like, you know, 300 million streams of that song on Spotify. This is his sophomore album. The t- uh, title of the album is Sunny Boy. So here's a little taste of Rit Momney. These days all my vacations happen when I'm asleep. To nice destinations, my old elementary. Spring of 2012. Tarzan, 12-year-old boy swinging across the playground. Hair was down to my back. While this is playing, I'm going to read you a funny quote. When asked about Rit Momney, U.S. Senator Mitt Romney said, They say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Flattery, in all seriousness, I wish Rit Momney the best of luck in his music career and all his future endeavors. That's lovely. So that was really lovely of Mitt Romney. Such, such a nice guy, that Mitt. This kind of reminds me of the band Phoenix a little bit, this song. Did you guys ever listen to Phoenix? Yes, I like Phoenix. So that's the vibe of this song. Um, Not everything is like this. The album's kind of all over the place uh, as far as some of the instrumentation and genre. Um, So here's another one right here. Reminds me of the Beatles like the melody and the chord progressions. But um, yeah, definitely check this out. I've, I've enjoyed this record this week. Um, he, uh, 
yeah, I like his lyrics. Very autobiographical. He likes to tell stories. Um, so just check out. Here, let me fast forward this song a little bit so you can hear where it goes. I kind of dig that for yeah. some reason. Yeah, it's cool. Reminds me of James Blake. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to James Blake. Yeah, he's a young guy. The band is Rit Mominy. He's going on tour. The album is called Sunny Boy. This song is called Head Start. Check it out. Uh, if you follow me on Spotify, I've made a playlist called JM's uh, Favorite Tracks of 2021. There's a couple of tracks from that album on there, so go add that playlist. Sweet. Lovely. That's all I got, guys. Lovely. I love it. Lovely. Lovely. How many times lovely. did he say lovely right there? Oh, Lo- my word. Lovely. This song is Lovely. For those who don't know, JM actually sang these vocals. That's right. This note right here. All right. Welcome, everyone, to Bradford's Book Club. Really excited about the book that I'm going to be talking about today. We at Shades Valley recently just started a new series, didn't we, Jonathan? We did, on Sunday. And what is this series, Jonathan? Uh, it's entitled The Sermon, um, because we are going through Matthew 5 through 7, which is traditionally called The Sermon on the Mount. We are going through The Sermon on the Mount, and today, spoiler alert, we will be talking a little bit about The Sermon on the Mount. So, in keeping with the Sermon on the Mount theme, I thought I would recommend a book that I think Jonathan would recommend this book as well. I don't put a, want to put words into his mouth, but he's told me he really likes the book. So, I, I mentioned it on Sunday. You not mentioned the, it on Sunday, the, didn't you? Not the book specifically, but the author of the book. And I was, That's right. Yeah, mentioned it. That's right. So obviously, anytime we start a new series, Jonathan, myself, whoever's preaching, is looking through a variety of resources. But a particular book has been very helpful to Jonathan and myself. The book is written by Jonathan Pennington. It's titled The Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing, A Theological Commentary. So in this volume, a recognized expert on the Gospels shows that the Sermon on the Mount offers a clear window into understanding God's work in Christ. Jonathan Pennington provides a historical, theological, and literary commentary on the sermon and explains how this text offers insight into God's plan for human flourishing. As Pennington explores the literary dimensions and theological themes of this famous passage, he situates the sermon in dialogue with the Jewish and Greek virtue traditions and the philosophical theological question of human flourishing. He also relates the sermon's theological themes to contemporary issues such as ethics, philosophy, and economics. So I know as many of you listen to the sermons on Sunday morning, you walk away and you say, I want more. (laughs) Give me more. Well, this book is a place where you can find more than you would probably it's, ever want. It's definitely more. <laughs> more than you could ever want. But yeah. you can also look at the table of contents. You right. don't have to read an entire book. This is my argument when it comes to books in general. 
I don't know how y'all feel about that, but this is not your book club. That's true. So maybe you wouldn't be interested in every chapter in this book, but maybe you would just go to part two, which is the commentary, Mm -hmm. where he talks about the text. There's a lot of helpful insights, and it's a great resource to understanding what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. There's, there's basically two halves to the book. The first half is kind of him making a, a broader argument for how to approach and interpret the sermon. And the second half is, like Brad mentioned, that commentary. Um, now, it is not like just easy sledding, like like just going to sit down and kind of read this casually by the fire. Like it is a book that's going to make you think it's going to require a lot of you. It is written to be more scholarly than popular level for sure. Exactly. Uh, but... It is immensely helpful. I mean, as always, don't agree with uh, with everything, um, but it is immensely helpful. And uh, just so you know, Jonathan Pennington, so he is a, a New Testament scholar, and he is the head of the Ph.D. department at Southern Seminary. And oh yeah, that's right. Some of you know I was y'all are buds. Yeah, I was in the uh, the PhD program at Southern Seminary for a hot minute before I realized now is not the life stage for such things. Mm. Um, Got to raise some kids first. Uh, but but so I got to know uh, Pennington. Like, I don't know that he would know who I am. Oh, dude, um, we need to totally get him uh, on the podcast. We, yeah, that's what I was. We should. Saying. We what totally should. Yeah, uh, I bet we could. I'll reach out. Um, but uh, but what I wanted to say is that like he's the real deal. Like yes. this this man loves Jesus, um, and and this is not just some scholarly theological academic exercise for him. Totally, he's heavily invested, and and he is a follower of Jesus, and this is very important. Uh, his work is important to him for helping us better know Jesus and follow Jesus. And so, one hundred percent. So yes, it's a scholarly work, but just wanted to put that plug for Pennington himself. Like he's he's the real deal and very very helpful. Yes. Um, so yeah. So I thought about recommending another more accessible kind of popular book as well, but I didn't want to overwhelm the listeners. And mm-hmm. I know that everyone's going to go out and buy Pennington's book right after. <laughs> they this probably are right now. Yeah, exactly. The Amazon sold out. So here's what I thought I would suggest: wherever you listen to podcasts, type in Jonathan Pennington. Make sure it's the right one. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan Pennington, Sermon on the Mount, or just Jonathan Pennington, and see what comes up. Because he's been on several podcasts, he's gone to several churches and talked about this book, talked about the Sermon on the Mount. So there you can get kind of a summary, and that might whet your appetite for more. So, you know, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, I think for Bradford's book club, I might continue to make book recommendations. We'll see what happens. I need to consult the board. But for today, either check out the book or type in Jonathan Pennington into where podcasts can be listened to and listen to some lectures by him. He's a really great lecturer. Very engaging. Yeah. Very endearing. Very easy to listen to. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. Great job. Thanks, guys. Well, as Brad mentioned, like today on the podcast, we are just going to dive a little bit further into the Sermon on the Mount. We do this on occasion when we start new sermon series. We'll we'll kind of do an episode dedicated to that. And so that's That's what we decided to do for today. Yeah, it's great. Um, Because the Sermon on the Mount, believe it or not, uh, it's, it's interpreted in a wide variety of ways. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, not everybody approaches it in the exact same way. It can be slightly controversial, 
uh, sometimes. But what I really wanted to start off talking about uh, here is just kind of answering the question of why we're doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount at this exact moment in time. Yeah. So we just finished up the Psalms. Um, and, and actually, I, I had thought about, originally I'd planned to do a series on the Sermon on the Mount uh when we were doing the psalm series, like I, I didn't have a psalm series planned, like I, we were going to go straight from what we'd finished before into the Sermon on the Mount. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, and Psalms intervened <laughs> because it was actually just this growing conviction through my time in the Word and prayer that like we need a season uh, to just inhale, exhale for a moment, and yes. a little healing balm to the soul here, which the Psalms can can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, let's just say gets a little bit up in your face a little bit more. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it's, yeah, yeah, but, but so the reason why I wanted us to move into the Sermon, I mean, there's many reasons, but just to list a few, one, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is about kingdom life amidst a hostile world. Mm. I mean, I don't know if that feels relevant to anybody. For any reason, right now, I can't think I of any examples. I don't feel any hostility. I can't think of any examples of <laughs> so hostility. I, I'm good, and and it's about what life is supposed to look like, specifically for believers in the midst of such an environment, in the midst mm. of a hostile. Like, do believers just join into that? Do we just join in with the hostilities of the culture that surrounds us? Do we sound the same, look the same? And if not, what does it look like for us to live a kingdom life that's different from the world around us? Uh, another yeah. reason, I thought uh, it was very applicable to the specific moment in which we find ourselves, is the Sermon on the Mount radically takes followers of Jesus and reorients everything in their life around the glory of God mm. versus... Uh, everything in our lives being about ourselves. Most of us live right now, I mean, our culture is all about how I'm perceived. Everything's performative. You know, my social media platform is performative. Uh, posturing is a huge thing within our culture right now. It's all about how I'm perceived by the world around me. And the Sermon on the Mount just takes that and just crushes it and makes mm. it crumble for the people of God and says none of this is about how you are perceived by the people around you. It is about living your life in such a way that even if your father is the only one who honors you, that's this is how you are to live. So there's this sense right now that we're focused so externally on people. So what did this person post? What does this person say about this? Do I approve? Are they in my camp or not? But it's simply kind of an outward appearance, an external act or a word, if you will. Yeah, it's a performative righteousness, mm. which the Sermon on the Mount trounces, you know. And, wow, yeah. and, and so there's just, there's, I mean, seriously, if you just sit down and read the Sermon on the Mount with no idea about how to interpret it or any of that kind of stuff, I, I, it will still just slap you in the face time and time again with things that are insanely relevant to our everyday culture and our everyday existence. Mm, yeah. So how are we to interact with others when we have anger and bitterness towards them? How are we to interact in a world where we're constantly tempted by uh, sexuality and lust? Uh, how are we to live in a world where we experience anxiety? How are we to live? I mean, just, just 
thing after thing after thing after thing, like again and again, when you're treated unjustly, mm-hmm. how are you to respond? I mean, yeah. it's, it's living in an affluent society. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It is. It, it is all it's all there. The sermon, it critiques all of us. Like, it's not like the sermon is on somebody's side and it's against other kinds of people. It, it critiques everybody. I'll just I'll show this to you in kind of one way really quickly right here. So on Sunday, uh, we talked a little bit about how Matthew in his gospel is a master of structure. Um, that that it, you can actually outline his gospel in a multitude of ways and not be wrong, um, mm. because he structures his structure his structure is so layered. Mm. Um, the best way to see any book of the Bible structure, but especially something like the Gospel of Matthew, is to sit down and read it in a single sitting, uh, which is the way these things were designed to be consumed originally, especially if you can read it out loud, because that's when you will notice uh, repetition of certain things, Mm -hmm. certain words, certain phrases, certain callbacks that maybe you wouldn't have seen any other way. I mean, if there's a call, so for instance, on that note, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus gives this series of woes to the Pharisees. They parallel the Beatitudes. You would never pick up on that if you're reading Matthew at the rate of a chapter a day. You said that's 23, right? Is yeah, where the, chapter 23. So, the so, woes are. Yeah, so you read chapter 5, the Beatitudes, yeah. and you don't get to chapter 23 for another like 18 to 20 days, depending on your reading pattern. Right, yeah. You know, you're, you're not going to put two and two together. But if you read this in a single sitting, which Matthew is a long one, I do think it takes like two hours almost, like an hour and a half, two hours to read it. Um, but you're way more likely to hear those echoes mm. and to pick up on it. But so to back up, Give you a little bit of structure right here that shows how this sermon just critiques all of us. So, in chapter four, the paragraph right before the sermon starts, chapter four, starting in verse 23, it says, And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So, Jesus goes around teaching, preaching, and healing. Now, if I just go over a few chapters to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, we read, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. It's almost a direct quote. Hmm. Like those verses are exactly the same. And so this, what's going on there? Th- this is Matthew's way of drawing like brackets around this section. So from the end of chapter 4 to the end of chapter 9 is meant Matthew showing you, hey, this is a section of my gospel, and it all goes together. And what's really interesting is when you read those chapters, what do you find? You find Jesus preaching, teaching, and healing. Hmm. Like it's like, hey, this is what I'm about to tell you about. Now I'll tell you about it. And then, hey, this is what I just told you about. Summary right here. One of the reasons that makes... Uh, the ser- one of the reasons that's an evidence of how the sermon critiques all of us mm-hmm. is historically, if you look throughout history, there are some people uh, within the church who have really loved and latched on to Jesus' teaching, like the Sermon on the Mount. Like, oh, we love Jesus, the teacher. This is like all ethics, and it's calling us to this certain kind of lifestyle, and Christianity is really all about living the right way and justice and yada, 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 and all of these different things. 
but we really don't care about talking about spirituality at all, anything supernatural. We just kind of want to let go of that. Don't want to talk about salvation and any of that. Like This is really just about ethics. Jesus, mm-hmm. the teacher. Well, then you also have other people who are, are like, man, we love some supernatural Jesus healing diseases and you know casting out demons and all of these things. But we don't like when Jesus teaches and gets up all up in our grill about how we live. We really don't want to talk about mm. any of that, like kind of jettison Jesus. There's no the room teacher. for Jesus to give any commands. Right. 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 That kind of thing. Yeah. Well, by his structure right here, Matthew refuses to let that happen. He holds Jesus, the teacher, and Jesus, the healer, together. He holds his ethics and his, which it's, it's, it's not entirely right to say his ethics are only found in his teaching and that his, uh, the, the supernatural and salvation is only found in his healing. That's, that's not true any, uh, anyway. But Matthew's holding this all together. Mm-hmm. And so he's looking at the person that would want to just take the Sermon on the Mount and say, you can't take the Sermon on the Mount without the guy that's casting out demons and proclaiming salvation. Hmm. And looking at the person that's like, yeah, you want to just emphasize the spirituality of things and kind of not talk about the importance of teaching and how we actually live, uh, not this is the whole Jesus. He goes together. Yeah. So, th- I mean, it's just one way that, like, the sermon just goes after all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, the sermon critiques all of us. It calls, and, and what it's doing, what I made the argument for on Sunday is that it's calling all of us to the true life of abundant joy because it's calling all of us to true life in Christ. That's what I think the whole sermon is about. So Mm. I say all that by way of introduction. (laughs) Right. And and, It's important. And to get us to kind of make the argument for the way I'm approaching the sermon, I really just quickly want to lay out some of the ways people have approached the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you uh, just kind of three different, this isn't all of the ways, but this is a de- decent summary and I think probably hits the way most of us have, have heard the sermon approached in one way or another. Yeah. But uh, three different approaches to the sermon. So uh, they are, you can approach it as law that damns, you can approach it as law that demands, or you can approach it the uh, life that disciples. So I'll give you those one at a time. So first, you can approach the sermon as if it is law that damns. Yeah, what's that look like? So that's seeing the entire purpose of the sermon is almost being like uh, like the same purpose as, as the Old Testament law, which that's an oversimplification. This is not the only purpose of the Old Testament law. But uh, one of the purposes of the law... Um, is to show us our sin and show us that we cannot live up to a standard of righteousness to earn salvation for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the law, as Paul would put it, is a schoolmaster to yep. lead us to Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, are lots of people that really like to emphasize that, and they emphasize it under this rubric of law gospel. So, you know, the law shows us our need for Christ. The gospel tells us of Christ and how Christ has come to to save us from our sin and do what the law couldn't do, weakened by the flesh. Um, and, and, and some people, not everybody, but some people, uh, there's a lot of truth in what I just said right there right. and in that kind of rubric and, and hermeneutical or interpretive approach. But some people want to push everything into those categories. Mm. So every like scr- the Sermon on the Mount. 
Yeah. So every scripture I read, it is either law or it is gospel. And by law, I mean it is only there to show me my sin and that I need the gospel of Jesus. Gotcha. So you take those lenses and then you come to the Sermon on the Mount. Right. And what is the Sermon on the Mount when you have those lenses? Well, the sermon has to be law. It's Jesus doing what I think the Old Testament law does, you know, showing us that there's a standard of righteousness that the Pharisees can't live up to. Mm-hmm. We can't live up to it. And so we all need Jesus. So this becomes a law that damns. Like, in other words, the, the Sermon on the Mount really has no bearing on your day-to-day life. Its purpose mm-hmm. is not to disciple you, teach you what a Christian should live like or anything like that. It is just to make you despair of ever achieving righteousness on your own and throwing yourself fully upon Christ for your righteousness. Mm. And while there's theological truth yeah. in the fact that, no, we can't achieve a righteousness to save ourselves, of yep. course That's we a need good the thing. imputed righteousness yep. of Christ. That's a good thing, too. Right. But the question is... Is that what the sermon's doing? Right. Uh, and and I would say, no. <laughs> yeah. It's my short answer. Um, no. I and don't, you're not alone in that. Right. No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. But so that's kind of the first approach that you'll hear sometimes. Okay. What's behind door number two? Behind door number two, it's John Mark's favorite door. I'm just kidding. I don't. Oops. I meant to do the clap. The clap. No, I was just kidding. Um, so number one was law that damns. Number two is law that demands. So in other words, this group uh, sees the Sermon on the Mount as uh, law. But it, its purpose is for us to strive with everything that we have within us to actually live it out. It's placing demands on us, and we need to live out those demands. So it sees mm. the Sermon on the Mount primarily as ethics. It's like this is an ethical code. Um, and I, I, Jesus is setting this standard, and i got to live up to it. So buckle up, pull up the bootstraps, tighten up the belt, here we go. Yeah. Um, and this obviously contend towards legalism. Mm-hmm. This contend towards people actually trying to earn their salvation. Mm. Like Jesus put a standard in place. And so yeah. if you're not doing these things, clearly you're not actually a Christian. And yeah. you're yeah, sorry. Kind of a constant teaching that goes back to you need to do better. You need to do better. Right. And then next year, right. we need to do better. We right. need to do better, right? Because there's this constant, because we're never really achieving that. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, it really is turning the Sermon on the Mount merely into ethics. It's here mm-hmm. is a way to live. Um, do your best, you know? Yeah. And, and that kind of ethics, I mean, Christianity does have a lot to do with ethics and talks about ethics. Yep. We'll get there in a second. Yep. Uh, but it is not merely ethics. Mm-hmm. Uh, any philosophy out there can put out an ethical code and call people to it. And so if that's what the Sermon on the Mount is, then you don't even have to be a Christian, actually. You don't need Jesus. You don't uh, need the yeah. Holy Spirit. You don't need, like, it's just like, do this and things will go great. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it's it, yeah, that's kind of that approach of law that demands. It gets legalistic of this is, this is how I live in my own strength and prove I love Jesus or, or you know, prove I'm worthy of Jesus and and... and earn my way yeah. into God's good graces. Mm. So that's door number two, which to that we're going to say no. 
Yeah. Um, well, and that, that I feel like that message is probably given more subtly than that in some circles. Right, for sure. And so, yeah, it is something to be cautious of. Yeah, for okay. sure. Door number three. All right, so door number... <laughs> I meant go. to do that for the second one, but you <laughs> caught me. So behind door number three is life that disciples. Life that disciples. What I mean by that is that the Sermon on the Mount is calling us to life, not just a mere ethical way of life, but to true life, mm. life which, which is only found in Christ. It's life as we were created to be lived, and, and it does that by discipling us. Um, in other words, a, a way to put this would be, uh, as Christians, we talk about being saved by Christ. And usually when we talk about that, we talk about what we're saved from. I mean, we are saved from sin. We are saved from death. But this would put an emphasis on, but we're also saved to something. Hmm. And what we're saved to is life as God created it to be lived. Hmm. Um, and Matthew in his gospel talks all about the kingdom of heaven, which I would simply describe as life as it was created to be lived, as we saw it in the beginning in Eden, and as we will see it in the end, when God's kingdom is established fully and forever and brought to consummation. Mm. And what this is, is this is Jesus, the king of the kingdom, coming, inaugurating his kingdom reign and saying, this is what life in my kingdom, true life, abundant life of full joy, this is what it looks like. So, so there is an ethics side to it. There is a side where, yeah, we're, this really has to do with your day-to-day life. And yeah, this is the way to live that leads to true and full joy, but that cannot be seen or achieved apart from Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, it is only in in Christ, and and I think we saw that some this past Sunday, uh, just as we briefly looked at the uh, the first beatitude. Yeah, um, you know, the first beatitude uh, says that this happy, full, truly abundant life. It belongs to those who are poor in spirit. Yeah. Which is a posture of seeing that you need God, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Well, so, and this all speaks to the reality that God not only pardons us from sin, but he transforms our hearts, that he not only justifies us, but he sanctifies us, and he transforms us to live as his kingdom people, a people who go into the world to proclaim the glory of who he is and what he's done. People that bear witness to his saving acts, not only in forgiveness, but also in living justly and rightly as he intended and created us to. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I think, and Christians historically and presently, we, we have always gotten into trouble when we've tried to break these things apart. You know, mm. this is what ends, uh, this is what ends up uh, happening uh, when we think that like uh Peter, uh, excuse me, not Peter, uh, Paul and James disagree with each other, and we pit them against each other. Well, Paul's got this gospel of grace, and then we're justified by faith alone, and James is over there going, nah, you got to work your tail off. And it's like, yeah, no, <laughs> the, these guys are not at odds with one another. Um, mm. they're, they're talking about the God who justifies is also the God who sanctifies, and this is all of his grace. Yeah. Well, and you see how those two camps could fall into the sermon is either damning or demanding. Right. If works and salvation by grace through faith are pitted against one another, yeah, absolutely, 
Absolutely. So, so my approach to the sermon is that of number three, that it is calling us to true life in Christ. It's mm-hmm. calling us to a life of discipleship, to what we are saved to. And I think that makes the most sense when we see the sermon. I'm about to throw something fun at you that I didn't get to talk about on Sunday at all. But I think this it this makes this approach makes the most sense when we see the sermon as eschatological wisdom literature. Ooh, okay, <laughs> a lot of big fancy all words. Right. We got a word salad here. Party words, okay? Party words. Bring, bring that a, out. We got a word casserole. Let's, <laughs> let's see what's take, in the oven. Let's take that one at a time, shall we? Uh, eschatological wisdom literature. We'll actually take them in reverse order. So wisdom oh. literature, which should be mm-hmm. the one that people are most familiar with. What comes to mind for you guys? Like we're talking Bible. What comes to mind for you guys when we say wisdom literature? What do you think, John Mark? Go ahead, Brad. <laughs> he just pointed at me. <laughs> <laughs> wisdom, you I'm mean sorry. like Proverbs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Maybe Ecclesiastes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Job, Song of Songs. Song of songs. Yeah. Psalms wisdom, even has a psalms. lot of, yeah, there are wisdom psalms. So yeah, showing sure. us how to live rightly in God's world in a yeah. way that honors him. Yeah, so on Sunday, uh, I mentioned Psalm 1. Psalm 1, in a lot of ways, is a wisdom psalm. Uh, it lays out before the listener two ways of living. There's a way of life where you stand in the path of sinners and sit in the seat of scoffers and all that, and then there's a way where you reach yourself in the word of God, and it ends with, well, if you go this way, it leads to destruction. You're like chaff, and you're blown away with the wind. And if you go this way, it would be like a tree planted by streams. I mean, that's wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is constantly presenting us with uh, two ways to live. Mm-hmm. And the way of wisdom is the way that leads to true ultimate life, even when it doesn't look like it on the surface. Mm-hmm. This is what Proverbs does, too, especially the opening chapters of Proverbs, right? Before you kind of get to the little pithy sayings. Mm-hmm. Um you have several chapters that will draw out uh, a father's wisdom to his son. Uh, like, for instance, he'll talk about it in relation to uh, his relationships with women. Yep. I'll be like, son, there's a way of living in relation to women in this world that will lead to your and her damage and destruction. And there is a way of relating to women in your life that will lead to life and prospering for both of you. This mm-hmm. is this is what wisdom literature is and what it does. I drew out a few parallels on Sunday between Psalm 1 and the Sermon on the Mount, but there's actually a ton. Mm. Um, It's really kind of uncanny the way that that they are similar to one another. But the sermon presents itself in many ways as wisdom literature, as Hmm. there are two ways to live. And it's calling you away from one way of life and to another. You can see this all throughout the sermon, but especially in the way it begins and in the way it ends. So it begins with the Beatitudes, right? Yep. Which we emphasized on Sunday, the word blessed that begins each of the Beatitudes is actually the Greek word makarios, which could be better translated as truly joyful. Mm-hmm. So we don't mean somebody that's just got a smile all the time, but someone who their life is headed in the direction of true joy, mm-hmm. deep, lasting, everlasting joy. Uh, Pennington's word for it is flourishing, Mm. you know? So he would say flourishing are the poor in spirit, or I might say truly joyful are the poor in spirit. Like, I don't care what it looks like on the surface, who it looks like has joy out there, who it looks like is flourishing out there. You want to know who really is flourishing, who Mm -hmm. really is going to have true joy forever? Mm. It's the poor in spirit. 
So it's showing you the way to true joy, if you will. It's showing you the way to flourishing. Yes, and and we saw on Sunday that this is constantly for for Jesus' audience that he's speaking to in their context. He's constantly contrasting what he's calling them to with what the Pharisees and scribes have called them to, Um, which that would be the primary, for for that original audience, that would be the primary uh, people going, hey, here's the way to flourishing. Mm. And Jesus is like, nope, not that way. This way. This way. And so you see that right even at the beginning. Okay. These two ways to live. Mm-hmm. See it all throughout the sermon, but then it gets stupid explicit uh, at the end of the sermon. Um, if, if the purpose of the sermon was approach number one, uh, all the sermon's supposed to do is make you damn see you. this is impossible. Yeah, damn you so that you fly to Jesus then you would think Jesus would end with something like, and you can't do any of that, so trust in me. <laughs> that would have been helpful. Right. Or, or something about his uh, substitutionary death or something about this is what's coming. I mean, mm-hmm. something about believing and trusting in him. Yeah, yeah. Very explicitly like that. <clears throat> and it's not that none of that's present in the sermon, but that's, that's not the note struck at the end. Mm-hmm. If the point of the sermon was buckle up and you know do these ethical demands... Like you think that Jesus would end uh, with just being like, "Well, good luck," you know, or or <laughs> yeah. something of that nature. I mean, he does call us to live it out, sure, but the way he calls us to live it out is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he presents a series of um, you could almost say parables or images that are two ways of living. Mm-hmm. There is a wide road, and there's a narrow road. Uh, there are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are two. There are two. That's actually a part of. There are two kinds of prophets: wolves in sheep's clothing, or he also calls them bad trees that bear bad fruit versus good trees that bear good fruit. Who are you going to listen to? Who yeah, yeah. And his final image is the one that, if you grew up in church, you sang about: uh, the foolish man who built his house upon the sand, and the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And. You know, which one are you going to be? What, what, what was the song? I'm trying to think. The you song. really don't know the song? Oh, I do. Uh, I just can't remember it. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Da, 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 da. And the rains came tumbling down. Yes, the rains yes, came yes. down and the floods came up. Yeah. Rains Did you know this came song? Down yeah, and the floods came up. Yeah, yeah, there yeah, it is. Yeah. And okay, the I knew it. On the sand went splat. I think we sing that in children's <laughs> church. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 And then the wise church. man built his house upon the rock. Totally. And what does it mean to build your house upon the rock, according to Jesus? It's he who hears my words and does them. Yeah. Well, you you know, know, even thinking about you have the baptism of Jesus right before the Sermon on the Mount, and the words say, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. But doesn't it say, listen to him? This is my beloved son, listen to him? Or is is that Luke's account? I don't remember which account that's in. But yeah, I mean, it's in one of them. You know, listen to him. Yep. Um, or d- is that spoken at the back? See, now we're all going to look really silly. <laughs> um, I know that said, uh, where is that said? At, at the Mount of Transfiguration. At the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father speaks and says that. That's right. Never uh, mind. To, to Peter. Listen to him. <laughs> That's right. Totally Be discount. Quiet, Peter. Totally discount no. that point. No. But the, the point remains the sermon ends very much like wisdom literature. Here are two ways to live. Now, it's more than that, uh, which is why it's not just people might be saying, Jonathan, that sounds an awful lot like door number two, like just the ethical demand of just do Jesus' words. It's not just that because 
It's not just wisdom literature. Oh, that first word that it sounded like you sneezed. It is eschatological wisdom literature. Yes. Eschatological. Eschatological. Eschatos. It's a Greek word. It means last or last things, final things. So eschatology is what we did all throughout our series of Revelation. It's the study, study of, of the last things. The last things, yes. the end times, the whatever word you want to throw in there. So eschatological. Uh, very different than the word scatological, by the way. Um, What's that mean? <laughs> Poop. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to get an E in front things, of the podcast Things episode. having to do with scat. Um, uh, eschatological is just something having to do with the end or new heavens, new earth, the coming kingdom of God. So when we say that the sermon is eschatological, what we mean is throughout it, Jesus is constantly talking about the coming kingdom of God. You get that from his opening line. Truly joyful are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's present tense. It is theirs right now. Yeah, it's going to come in full one day, but there's a sense in which they already possess it right now. Hmm. So it's not just wisdom literature. It has this focus of looking towards the coming kingdom. And these two things actually go together. In other words, what's being said when you're dealing with eschatological wisdom literature? What's being said is you can only know the truly wise way to live in light of how everything will end. That's what's ultimately being said. Like, in other words, if you don't take into account the coming kingdom of God, well, then the wise way to live may look like amassing all the stinking money you can right now and and just living it up and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's what may look wise. Mm -hmm. But if you take into account the coming kingdom of God, what what's wise now looks very, very different. Uh, and this is why the sermon can't make sense outside of the person and work of Jesus, outside of his kingdom. It can't just be morals. Right. That you apply to your life. Right. Because of this reality shaped by the last things. Yeah. The no, coming of God's kingdom. Absolutely. In the person of Jesus Christ, Jim. What's really interesting is that almost all, I, I venture to say all, but but I don't want to speak incorrectly. <laughs> almost all that I'm aware of, Jewish eschatological literature, literature that was written within Jewish context having to do with the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm almost all, if not all, is written for the purpose of wisdom. We talked about this in the Revelation series, right? Like that the purpose of yeah. Revelation isn't so we can just speculate about like future events. It's to teach us how to live right now yeah. as Jesus' disciples in light mm -hmm. of his coming. It's eschatological wisdom literature. Yeah. And really, the, the Sermon on the Mount is the same thing. It's saying, okay, um... You, how should you relate to your enemies right now? Well, the only way you can know how you should really relate to your enemies is in light of the coming kingdom of God and that his kingdom will rule and reign. Perfect justice will be done. You don't have to worry about getting and exacting perfect justice right now. You can actually pray for your enemies. You can love them. You can hope for their repentance. You can forgive them. You can do all of these things and you're being because you're being empowered by an ultimate vision of God's coming kingdom. Mm. You know, um, how can you believe that you're going to be truly joyful as one who mourns 
right now because of all the brokenness that you see in the world and the brokenness you see in yourself and everything like that? Well, because you know that God's kingdom is coming mm-hmm. and that those who mourn will be comforted. Yeah. You'll experience. So, so there, it, it, it throws this shift on everything. Mm-hmm. So, so the sermon is beckoning us to life, to true life, because it's beckoning us to live in light of the ultimate coming reality. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's beckoning us to, to kingdom life. And the reason that is more than just ethics is because kingdom life can only be found ultimately in Christ, the king of the kingdom. And this, this is the argument I tried to make on Sunday based around the structure of Matthew's gospel. So the, the early chapters anyway. Mm-hmm. So on Sunday, I emphasize that Matthew's gospel starts with him calling Jesus the son of Abraham, the son of David. And that's him being like, yo, Jesus is the one that's fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies. He is the son of David, the prophesied king, the Messiah, yada, yada, yada. Tried to show how Jesus's life in those early chapters parallels Moses's life to show that he's the new and greater Moses. So in other words, Matthew, Matthew's expectation is that by the time you arrive at Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, you know who he is. Yeah. He is the king of the kingdom. He is the king ushering in the kingdom. And you can't enter into the life that he is about to describe apart from submitting to the king of the kingdom. Mm. And that becomes obvious not just because of what Matthew has shown us leading up to the sermon, but because of several things Jesus actually says within the sermon. He doesn't just give ethics. He constantly ties everything back to himself. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, the Beatitudes, how do they end? It's not just, oh, well, Brad, if you'll be blessed if you're generally poor in spirit. You generally mourn. You generally all of this. You get to verse 11, and he ties it all back to himself. Blessed are you when people persecute you, revile you, blah, 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 on account of me. Mm. Like, it's, it's because you're attached. Like, you being poor in spirit is going to be because you're attached to me. Mm-hmm. More, it's because you're attached to me. He does this at multiple places throughout the sermon. And then it gets really explicit at the end of the sermon. Uh, in Matthew chapter 7, around verse 21, uh, he ties your eternal destiny as a part of the kingdom or not to whether or not you know him. It's the very famous passage. Um Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these external deeds in your name? And I'll say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Hmm. It's not about mere external works like the Pharisees do. Yeah, Hmm. it's about your heart being transformed because you know me, the king of the kingdom, and that's what makes you belong to the kingdom. So, yes, this sermon is about true life, Mm -hmm. but that true life is only found in Christ. Yeah. so that's that's where my argument lies. That that this sermon, yes, it's about, uh, it, it's it's to be used to disciple us into what how we're supposed to live, but that can only be lived in connection with Jesus and Him empowering such a life in us. The the one other thing I'll mm-hmm. say real quick, and then I'm I'm done pretty much, um, is I, I I mentioned this. This is what's funny about doing two services on Sunday. Uh, in one of the services I said this, and in the other one I didn't. <laughs> Because um, it wasn't totally. in my, it wasn't in my notes, um, but I, I went to Matthew chapter eleven, and in Matthew chapter eleven, Jesus makes another really famous statement where he says, "Come to me, 
all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And a lot of times people who look at the Sermon on the Mount uh, as just, that's just demanding the impossible, showing us what we can't do so that we'll fly to Jesus. They'll run to that verse, and they love that verse. See, Jesus would never put this kind of demand on us because coming mm-hmm. to him is all about rest. Well, we got to finish reading the verse because how does Jesus define that out? He said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You know, uh, which his yoke is his his teaching. Mm-hmm. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, why is his yoke easy and his burden light as compared to the Pharisees? Well, he says elsewhere in the Gospel of Matthew that the Pharisees, this is Matthew 23, the Pharisees are guilty of heaping up burdens to do lists upon people and then not lifting a finger to actually help them do anything about it. In other words, here's all these demands, do them in your own power. That's what external righteousness is all about. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus does have an ethic. He does have, in the Sermon on the Mount, we are supposed to learn to live in light of it and in line with it. But Jesus also transforms our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that these actions flow out of our affection for him. He empowers us Mm. to live in this way. Yeah, we take our yoke, his yoke, upon ourselves, his teaching upon ourselves, but it's easy and light because he provides every ounce of power to live it out. I mean, he Mm. ends his gospel, he ends the gospel of Matthew, Matthew ends his gospel with Jesus saying, go and make disciples, and that involves teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. I mean, Matthew has in mind right there the Sermon on the Mount uh, and the rest Mm. of Jesus' teaching that's been laid out in the gospel. We get tons of Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. There are actually five, I told you Matthew's big on structure, there are five huge teaching blocks in the Gospel of Matthew. Many people think that's meant to parallel the first five books of the Bible, the books of the Torah, the law. It's another way of Matthew echoing Jesus being the new and greater Moses. Mm. Moses had the five books. Jesus has these five blocks of teaching, if you will. But it's almost like a discipleship manual. Like, hey, go make disciples, and here's what you need to teach them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that yoke's easy, that burden's light, because you're you're not just taught to, to live this way, but you're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is with you to the end of the age, empowering you to, to live this true life. It's true life in Christ. All right, I'm done. I'll be quiet. Other concluding thoughts from y'all? Questions, refutations, debates? I'm good with whatever. <laughs> no, I, I thought that was all so helpful. And as you were talking about eschatological eschatological wisdom literature. Yeah, that's the party word for the week. Yeah, exactly. Everybody drop that at your Halloween parties. Well, it made me think of the reality of the already not yet in yes. the kingdom. I don't know if you mentioned that or not. Well, I, I mean, that's a part of eschatological wisdom literature for sure. And it's a, it plays a massive role in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll get into it in the coming weeks as we go through the Beatitudes one at a time. Because what's really interesting in the Beatitudes is Beatitude number one and number eight, you get the exact same promise. Uh, You get blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Beatitude eight, you get the exact same promise, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Both of those are present tense. All of the other promises between those two are future tense. Those who mourn, for they will 
be comforted. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And mm-hmm. so even in the structure of the Beatitudes, you get this sense that in some sense the kingdom's here, yep. and you're foretasting its realities, but in another sense it's not yet fully here. Yep. And we're living in light of the fact that it's coming. Yep. Yeah, tasting in part, not tasting in full, totally. And as you were talking uh, about the rest Jesus offered, it reminded me of Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland, how yes. he talks about the rest is because of the Jesus way and because of who Jesus is. He is the rest. He is the one that comes into our hearts and empowers us and transforms us mm-hmm. to live the way that God has created us to live. And that is where rest is found, is when we walk in his ways, is when we experience that. And left to ourselves, or just by the law, we were not able to do that. But now, because of Christ, because of who he is, he's gentle, he's lowly, and he's also powerful to change us. Right. One of the ways that uh, you just reminded me, as you were saying that, one of the ways Pennington talks about this, that I know I briefly mentioned, I don't know if it was in both services or not, on Sunday. But one of the reasons the Jesus way is restful is because it's not a divided life. Like, in mm. other words, the life of the Pharisees, where it's just this external righteousness, but there's no internal affection or heart that matches, it's a divided life. It's a yeah. hypocritical life. Yeah, which is normally not the way we think about being a hypocrite. No, no, not at all. We think of being yeah. a hypocrite as saying one thing and doing another, but Jesus often talks about it as doing the right thing, but not having <laughs> the right affections that go, right. you know, you're just faking. You're wearing a mask. Yeah. Um, which is what the Pharisees were doing. Yeah, it was yeah. just actually the term hypocrite, Greek word. Right, uh, mask. Originally just meant mask, meant actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, but yeah, like like it's this divided life, which we all know is not restful. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about, like, kids know this. So think about a kid when they're lying, you know, and they're trying to keep up this external appearance of a lie, and yet internally... They're conflicted because they know the truth and just how exhausting that is yeah. like for a little kid. And remember the first time, like with your with your child, when you when the truth finally comes out, and there's yeah. this exhale of relief, even though they're in trouble. They're like, "Ah, oh, I don't have yeah. to be this double person anymore." Mm. I mean, how many people live a religious lifestyle where it's like outwardly I'm one way, inwardly I'm another? The one of the reasons the Jesus way is restful. Is because he transforms your heart, and so your affections and your actions match. And even when you do wrong actions, because you're living the Jesus way, you feel a freedom to honestly right. confess that. Mm-hmm. And so your internal and external still match, even when right. you walk astray. And so you're There's able an to honesty live, there. Yeah, yeah, you're able to live this this whole honest, complete life that, ju- oh, I can, I don't have to freak about just putting on this, this, this uh, performative appearance yes. and people are going to find out I'm actually a fraud. I mean, how mm-hmm. much is our world, not, not even non-religious, like non-Christians, how much do they struggle with this life in the midst of like the social media age? Totally. Oh, I'm putting on this persona and I'm going to be found out yeah. as, as a fraud. Mm-hmm. And the Jesus way is like, hey, you, you can actually be open and honest about your weaknesses and your failures and your faults, and I'm going to empower you to live in a new way, and you can live a whole and complete. That's that's part of the reason it's rest. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, 
Totally. Well, cool. Well, guys, beautiful. I, I'm really excited uh, about this series. We're we're gonna take yeah. it slow. I I considered for a minute us doing the entire Gospel of Matthew, but I was like, man, people would kill me if we did that <laughs> for the next five years. Um, maybe one day. Uh, but but I really felt like the sermon was particularly. Uh, needed for my own heart and for our, for all of us right now in this season. And so oh, yeah. we will take our time with it. It'll take a hot minute. We're going to take the Beatitudes one at a time over the next several weeks. Um, but It's going to so, be fun. So, yeah. Yeah, if you're listening and you don't regularly join us on Sunday mornings and you'd like to hear Jonathan's sermon from this past weekend and the sermons coming up, you can do so on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You just search Shades Valley Community Church. We normally post uh, the previous Sunday's sermon uh, kind of the week <clears throat> afterwards. So you'll you'll be able to find that there. Um, I'm very excited about uh, this series myself. Um, so definitely check that out if you haven't heard the sermon. Um, email us at uh, midweek at shadesvalley.org. Let us know what you think about the Sermon on the Mount. That's right. Um, because here at Shades Midweek, we want you to be part of the conversation. Brad's not going to give up until that's a tagline. How did you do that two weeks ago? I think it was. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brad, Brad's so, going to so, keep trying to do yeah. that. So shoot us an email because it's Shades Valley. You're part of the conversation. So definitely do that. We'd love to hear from you all. We haven't gotten an email in a couple of weeks. so we're Starting we're to get a complex. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Did we do something wrong? Did we say something wrong? I don't know. We're very excited about some episodes we've got uh, coming for you soon. Some big things happening here in the world of Shades Midweek. So. That's right. Well, yeah, thank that's you. That's all we're going to say. <laughs> that's it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been another episode of Shades Midweek. We will see you next time. Go Braves. Go Braves.